0: listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Not been here, not been able to get uh, the the, the all of the topics that we've talked about. We started off with violence, and we spoke about what Christians bring to the conversation about violence. Uh, we've talked about politics. We've talked about the LGBTQ plus community and how Christians are to, to bring Christ to that conversation. And then last week, we talked about mental illness, addiction, and suicide. So if you've missed any of those and you'd like to catch up, I would encourage you to just go to our website. And there's a, a podcast link. Or if you look up if you like to follow iTunes podcast you can actually find us there just look up my name so Kevin Clark Oasis Church and it'll take you to our little channel and you can actually subscribe and have that stuff sent to your i device every week if you're interested in that today we're doing something that i think will be the hardest because what you're going to discover is what we're going to talk about today. I'm wrestling with. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm not real confident that we're going to walk out of here today and have a good solid understanding of the topic. Now, I think we can have a solid understanding of how we are to represent Christ, but this topic is complicated. And in fact, it's complicated enough to cause me to, I know some of you are looking and you're seeing that I've got emblem on my shirt this morning and you notice that it is of a particular uh, shade and and particular, but, but I want you to know I'm not wearing this shirt because of anything that happened yesterday between two rival teams. In fact, today we're going to talk about Immigration. And I just felt it appropriate for me to wear this and to find a common ground with those who are uh, aliens and strangers living in a foreign land. And I just felt like that this best represented, and I'm just kidding, I'm wearing it because they won. So anyway, (laughs) for 12 years, I've never done it. But this year I said, you know what, honey, I'm wearing it. How about them dogs? Anyway, we'll get off of that. And back to what we're here for. There's a there's an inscription on and and one of my y'all met uh, y'all met Justin last week. And I'll just tell you this: a lot of what this sermon series is coming out of is is Justin Scoggins, uh, the new. Director of Operations at the, at the mission. He and I have kind of been just getting to know one another over the last few weeks. We, we met one another a few years ago, but over the last few months and so, we've just been spending some time after I go on the, to the mission on Tuesdays. We spend some time and we just talk about things. And, and one of the things he's real passionate about is theology. And so we get to enjoy some conversations. And one of the things I really love about Justin is that he doesn't mind pushing the envelope. He doesn't mind pushing beyond those comfort zones that we live in. And I just really appreciate about that about him. And, and so a few months ago, he and I got started on a conversation theologically about violence in our culture. And that got an ongoing conversation that just started sparking, you know, this is this is a real thing that we should talk about. And it kind of gave birth to... Let's talk about it. And so, for each week, he's always been asking, So, what's the topic for this week? So, we're talking about this week. And then, what he'll do is through the week, if he has a thought, he'll share. One of the thoughts he shared with me this week, I thought was very telling of our nation. Inscribed on the Statue of Liberty is a poem by Emma Lazarus, written November the 2nd, 1883. The title of that poem is called The New. Colossus the new Colossus you're familiar with part of this poem but let me just read you this poem it says not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land here at our sea washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning And her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, she cries with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, Your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless. Tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Doesn't that sound like words of hope? To those who are hurting, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. You know, I've often heard America described as the world's great melting pot where cultures from all different directions came and many by the thousands entered through that harbor where Lady Liberty stood with that torch held high saying, come here, we'll take you when no others will, when no others want you, you can belong here. You know, I, I say that a lot about Oasis Church. One of the things that I want us I want it to be real about us, is that we look around and we recognize that we are actually a ragtag bunch of ragamuffins. It's just what, let this church never think that we represent the top shelf of the economic or social class. Let us always look around and say, you know what, we're a bunch of folks who are broken, who don't have it together. I love that about us. And let me be at the front of the line. We think about America, we think about that harbor where many have come from distant lands to start anew. Now, I recognize that in any pot, there's a limited space, And I recognize that the pot can get full and it's harder to pour gallon after gallon after gallon into a limited pot. I get that. And I understand that today in America, things and times are different. And so policies have to change. And I get that. But is it fair that we can say that that inscription of Lady Liberty isn't exactly the same open invitation that it used to be? I think we can honestly concede that things and times are different. But America represents hope and future to millions around the world, which creates bottlenecks and challenges as it applies to immigration. And in our country right now, immigration is one of the most hotly debated topics in every arena of our socioeconomic land. And so today we just want to say and talk and wrestle with, does the Bible have anything to say about immigration? I think it does and I think it doesn't. So today we're going to look at biblical biblical facts and principles, number one, that I've learned regarding immigration. Then we're going to come to some biblical conclusions that nation states should consider regarding immigration. And then lastly, we're going to look at some biblical principles and conclusions that every Christian should consider regarding information. And you're going to leave from here saying, you know, he really didn't tell us what the solution is to the problem of immigration in our country because I don't have that answer. But that's not my job today. My job is to encourage you, followers of Jesus, to represent Jesus Christ in the conversation and the reality of immigration in our nation because it's something being talked about, and we need to bring Jesus to the conversation first. What are some biblical facts and principles that i 've learned along the way here 's where i, I don 't want you to start off frustrated with me, but i 'm not going to quote a lot of scripture in this section. I am going to reference scripture in this section. If you have u version on your iDevice device or your Android or your tablet, then you can follow along with my outline and you can see and you can see the references that i 'm going to place. If you don't have that, then I've got a stack of my outlines sitting right there. After we're finished today, feel free to come up and get them. If the pile runs out, I can print more. Because I want you to be able to do your homework. I want you to be able to look these things up. I'm just going to share with you some things that I've learned, some principles that I've discovered, some facts that I've come to as I've been thinking about talking on immigration. First, the Bible nowhere mentions anything about U.S. laws and practices on immigration. I promise you, you look from one end to the next and you won't find any instructions about how the United States of America is supposed to handle their immigration regulations. Okay, so we'll just get that right out of the way. But here's what we can learn, and this is something that I do know from from, from a biblical standpoint, and that is that all humans, every human being, possesses the image of God and is worthy of dignity in their treatment. I want you to say every. I want you to say all. Every human being possesses the image of God and is worthy of dignity in their treatment. You know why? Because God treats his creation with dignity. I learned that God ordained national governments. We talked about this in our In our talk on politics, God ordained national governments to provide order and structure for human populations. I learned that it is the expectation of God ordained governments and authorities to punish citizens who break laws within the framework of humane treatment in accordance to their crime. God ordained governments for structure and order. You'll find this in Romans 13. And God established authorities to bring punishment on those who break laws within the framework of humane treatment and in accordance to the crime committed. you find that. I discovered that it is the, that that scripture does not, forbid nations from protecting borders or determining who can and cannot enter. Nowhere in the scripture does God say that a nation should not protect their interests or their citizens and it never says that they should not establish rules for entry and permission for those who will dwell in their land. But I do find that God's people are instructed and expected to obey the laws of the land unless those laws will require one to violate God's righteous standard. You'll also find that in Romans 13, that citizens of the land are are instructed by God to obey the laws If the law says the speed limit is 65 miles an hour then God calls the citizens of that nation to follow that rule it doesn't matter that your 78 model trans am bandit edition will go faster than that can you see what is a dream of my but it doesn't matter that it can go faster you obey the law the law says stop you stop The only exception is when human law requires you to violate God's righteousness. There are exceptions in the book of Acts where that was indeed the fact. Human law required that these individuals in the early church go against what Christ said. And they said we must obey God rather than man. But apart from that, we're to obey the law. There seems to be in the Hebrew In the Hebrew text, and and this comes from an author by the name of James Hoffmeyer. He's written, Dr. Hoffmeyer wrote a book called The Immigration Crisis in America. Dr. Hoffman is a Old Testament scholar, and he proposes that there is a difference in the language between the Hebrew word translated alien which brings with it the notion of someone who has been given permission to dwell in the land and you'll find that in the uh the first 5 books of the uh, of the Old Testament that there's a difference between the word used for resident alien and the word used for foreigner Now that's a very interesting concept because the scripture talks about both. Those who are dwelling in the land with permission, those who are dwelling or passing through the land as foreigners. I think that's very interesting. I don't know that I'm in 100% agreement with him, but I'm not a Hebrew scholar and he seems to be going down a right path. I'm just letting you know my limitations. It seems to be a distinction in those words. I would encourage you to get the book by James Hoffmeier and read it yourself if you're interested in that because it'll give you way more information. But there seems to be a difference. And God speaks to those individuals. Here's something I've learned. All of the biblical patriarchs in the Old Testament were resident aliens who obtained permission to dwell in foreign lands. If you consider Abraham... Isaac, Jacob, if you consider Moses, if you consider even the children of Israel were resident aliens in foreign occupied and owned properties. It wasn't until the conquest under Joshua did Israel begin to recognize their borders that God had established for them in the land of promise. Prior to that, they were all resident aliens, And they were all operating under the framework of seeking permission from the the ruler of that area where they would dwell. And God never says that that was not to be the case. In fact, New Testament Israel, including Jesus, were similar to resident aliens in that they were living in occupied Roman Palestine. So while they were living in the land of promise, they were not owners of that land of promise. And even Jesus lived as similar to a resident alien. I discovered that the young nation of Israel was welcomed into Egypt in a time of famine and given permission to settle in the land of of Goshen. But after a period of a number of years... The leadership in in Egypt turned on Israel and those that had permission before were then brought under oppression and slavery. And God actually steps into that situation. Here's the big one. I discovered that God's moral law required that all resident aliens living in the community of Israel be treated with love, hospitality, and fairness. I discovered that they were to be included in the areas of employment, social benefits, and worship. And I discovered that God forbade Israel from mistreating, oppressing, or cheating those that were resident aliens living in their community. They were to be loved. They were to be embraced. They were to be included in every facet of the life of the people of Israel. And God forbade, you will not mistreat them. You will not abuse them. You will not cheat them, but rather you are to include them. And, and that was not limited to everything but the temple. If a resident alien was willing to identify with the God of, of Israel and to uh, fulfill the rite or the, the, the ceremony of circumcision, they could be included as well in the worship of Israel. Those were known as proselytes, converts to Judaism. I also learned in this particular study of mine that the notion of sanctuary cities actually comes from the Old Testament. Of course, you knew that as well. But here's what you may not have known. Sanctuary cities in the Old Testament were never to be used to protect someone from the law. In fact, sanctuary cities were set apart by God because there were times when, when crimes were committed that would have normally, justice would have been exercised by the offended family. However, there were times when accidents occurred and the life was taken by accident, but the family in an emotional state were not ready to hear that this was an accident. This, you've taken the life of one of my loved ones, and so we're coming to exercise justice. The sanctuary city was given so that the one who had committed a, a, a crime, if you will, or the potential crime through accident, the sanctuary city allowed them to find a safe haven in order that the law might be fulfilled in fairness. So the notion of sanctuary cities actually comes from the scriptures. It comes from the heart of God, but it was to provide safety so that the law might be exercised correctly. A lot of principles that I've come to learn through my study of just what the Bible has to say about immigration. All humans are created in the image of God and they're to be treated with dignity, and, 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 and there were going to be those living in and out of the nation of Israel. And in fact, there were times when the nation of Israel would be living themselves as resident aliens in the land. There were restrictions and there were responsibilities on how these were be to be treated. Here's some biblical conclusions now that I've come to. And and I've got all the scripture references on here, so you get one of those outlines and you look them all up. And here's what you do. You look them up and you go, well, wait a minute, Pastor Kevin. What, What about, and see, that's how the conversation keeps going. Because I can't say everything that needs to be said about this subject, and I certainly won't say it to your satisfaction. But we can all wrestle with the same thing. So what are some biblical conclusions? Given some of the big facts and principles of what God does have to say about immigration and resident aliens and foreigners and how that nation states are to, to interact with one another, what are some biblical conclusions that a nation state like America, I would recommend, should consider when they're looking at establishing laws and principles to govern immigration? The first principle I discover is that every nation is free to protect their citizens, their borders, and to regulate immigration. It seems to me that every nation state is free to make those decisions about how they are going to regulate who comes in and out and for how long. However, every person... Whether granted or denied entry is to be treated with worth and dignity. It seems as though biblically a nation has the right to govern who comes in and out of their territory. Now let me ask you a question. Who actually owns the territory, class? God does. And, 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 and it's it is government- Human government, is that that like God's true desire for humanity? No, because he created us to be ruled by, let me back up. He created us to be in relationship with him. But because of sin, we are broken. Our hearts are turned away from God. Our hearts are turned away from one another. So in order to regulate humanity, God ordained governments. So it seems that governments have God's blessing to regulate who comes in and out. However, if they're going to do that biblically, then they must recognize that every person deserves worth and dignity in their treatment, whether granted entry or not. I find this conclusion. Resident aliens, those who are granted entry into the, into the nation and are given permission Resident aliens are to be treated with clarity. The nation is to give them clear instructions on how they are to live within their community. Make it clear. Don't be ambiguous about it. They need to be be treated with clarity, with fairness, They need not be treated with a different set of law codes, a different set of of responsibilities. They need to be treated with fairness if they're going to be allowed to live. Clarity, fairness, and inclusion. They need to be included legally, socially, and religiously. Whether they were born in that nation or not, then a nation, if they are going to follow biblical principles, need to treat those that they have allowed to live within their community with Fairness, with clarity, and with inclusion. And then lastly, I see the biblical conclusion that every effort by the nation state should be used to stop any and every instance of exploitation of both documented and undocumented aliens for the advancement of bottom line profits by that, I don't mean prophets who foretell the future, but prophets that come in the form of dollars. I think every nation ought to see to it that nobody exploits those who are the most vulnerable in our nation for the singular purpose of raising the bottom line. And congregation, can I tell you America is guilty, 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 guilty of hollering about immigration and then using people as commodities because they can, because they have no recourse. And I'm telling you, if you're going to follow biblical principles, then a nation should seek to stop any and every instance of exploitation because God says, you shall not oppress and abuse those aliens that are living among you. Now, those are just some biblical principles and conclusions that I've come from. So if anybody within our government has been listening to this podcast, which I highly doubt anybody will. But if you're going to run for office and you want to know what God's word says about how you're to bring his principles to bear in the government, well, there you go. Let's shift gears. What are some biblical principles and conclusions that every Christian should consider regarding immigration? And this is a complicated issue American immigration, American politics, American decisions on war. They're complicated, but what should every Christian consider? And I've got a few. The first principle has to do with the character of God. And I do want to bring out these scriptures. First of all, every Christian, when considering the issue of immigration, needs to remember that our God is loving. Psalm chapter number 36, verse number 7 says, How precious is your steadfast, your everlasting, your never-changing, your every time you look at one of yours that you created in your image, you see them through the lens of your great love. How precious is your steadfast love, O God, the children of mankind. American Christian, not the children of America. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of the wings of our God. If we're going to consider God's viewpoint on immigration, then we must look through his lens of love. Not only is God loving, God is compassionate. God sees suffering and God just doesn't sympathize with the suffering. He empathizes and moves toward the sufferer. God is compassionate. Psalm 116 verse number 5 says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. I follow the ESV, the NIV uses the phrase, our God is full of compassion. Where God sees suffering, God moves toward that suffering with love and compassion and the desire to meet the sufferer where they are. In fact, The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ not only provides for our salvation, but it is also the answer of provision for human suffering as a whole. He suffered to take suffering away. Our God is full of love and compassion. Every Christian, when it comes to considering immigration, if we're going to represent Christ, we're going to see that topic through the lens of love and compassion. And Maybe in your mind, you're saying, but Kevin, who should we see with compassion? And I would say that that question sounds exactly like the one who Jesus, who, who said to Jesus, but who is my neighbor that you say that I'm to love? You know how that story turned out. So who are we to see with love and compassion? Well, who possesses the image of God, class? Everybody. Lastly, well, not lastly, that's not fair. The last one in this section. God is loving, God is compassionate. God is a refuge for the oppressed. Psalm 9, 9 says the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold, the New Living Translation says, a refuge in times of trouble. Home is a refuge in times of trouble. God's invitation is, "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden." And I'll give you what class? What does Jesus say? I'll give you rest. Every Christian who enters in the conversation of immigration, and every Christian should be engaging in the con- in the con- in the conversation on immigration. Every Christian, if we're going to represent Jesus, God the Son, are going to have to see that issue first and foremost through the lens of love, compassion, and refuge. The second principle and conclusion that I come to for every Christian is that every Christian is to be marked... By love, compassion, and hospitality. First, marked by love. Romans uh, 13, verses 8 through 10. Paul says that we're not to be indebted to anyone for anything. Don't be a debtor to anybody for anything except, he says, owe no one anything except to love each other. We are to be marked by love. Not only do we represent Jesus with with seeing through eyes, but our actions are to be marked by love. Owe oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandments are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself but who's my neighbor everyone who possesses the image of God love does no wrong to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law did Jesus love everyone he encountered yes he did And it goes beyond that when he told Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. For those I won't encounter, I still love. Now you are to demonstrate, not just see the situation, though we must see it through the lens of love. We must act on that love as a debt we owe. To anyone and everyone. Every Christian is to be marked by compassion. Paul says in Colossians 3.12, put on then, he's talking to Christians. Now, now you've got to put on these attributes. They won't come natural to you. You've got to put them on. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And the first thing out of the gates, he says, is compassionate hearts. You know, we were real good at looking and seeing and feeling sorry. Compassion goes beyond and moves toward the sufferer. It's not just, I wish this wasn't true. This is a forward motion. For God so loved the world, yes, but his compassion was the fact that we could not save himself. So what did he do? He emptied himself and put on the form of a servant. He moved toward us in compassion. And he says, in fact, let that same mind be in you that moves toward... When Christians are considering the issue of immigration... They are to see it and act on love, and they are to see it with compassion and they're to move with compassion. Luke 6:36, Jesus Himself said, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. That word merciful, it's a Greek word that means being concerned about another's state of misery. Is it fair to say that those who are caught in the net of our national immigration situation is it fair to say that they're living in misery the answer to that question is yes Terry I'm gonna pick on you Terry is the principal at Denison Middle School and she sees day in and day you, you want to know about misery that families are living in that are caught in this between state. Terry sees it because those kids feel it and they bring it to school with them. Jesus said, be merciful, be concerned about their hurt. Seeing and acting marked by love, marked by compassion. I love what Galatians 6-2, we shared this last week when we were talking about Mental illness and addiction bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See the burden and seek to help that one carry the burden. Did Jesus do that? He most certainly did in the form of a wooden cross up a hill to lay down his life so that we might be set free from our misery every christian is to be marked by love by compassion by hospitality hospitality is that willingness to take what i've got even though it might not be much and to share it for the benefit of another even if it means i don't have enough for me hospitality hebrews chapter 13 verse number two says do not neglect to show hospitality to who Strangers. You go, yeah, but, but look what the rest of us says, because thereby some have entertained angels, so I want to be hospitable so that I'm entertaining angels. No, no. We'll be hospitable. Yes, you may be entertaining angels, but we're to be hospitable because of how God sees the one in need. Because of what has been provided by God to me, i 'm to be hospitable to the one that I see in need. We 're to be marked by hospitality. Galatians five: thirteen, You are called to freedom, brothers. In Christ, we have freedom. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one. Or, do you realize Jesus has set us free so that we might be the hands and feet of Christ to those who were in the same situation as we are including those that are caught in a net of confusion in the immigration issue. Galatians 6:10 So then as we have opportunity let us do good to who, class? Everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Every Christian is to be marked by love, compassion, and hospitality. You know why? Because this is the language of the gospel. Love, compassion, hospitality, is the language of the gospel. Now, who wants to hear information about Jesus who loved us, who had compassion on us, and who stepped into our hurt and misery? Who wants to hear that if the messenger who claims to have received that is not acting in those same terms? So my argument is if we are going to represent the gospel and that is job one of the Christian, then when it comes to the immigration issue, we must step into that conversation and into that reality with love, compassion, and hospitality because then we have the voice of the gospel that we can share in truth. You say, well, Kevin, does that mean that we're to turn a blind eye to the laws of the land? No. Do you have to break the law in order to love someone who's hurting? Do you have to break the law in order to show compassion to someone who is struggling? and in need? Do you have to break the law, to be hospitable to everyone and not block off a certain group of people because they're classified as this, that, or the other, I'm going to argue, no, ma'am, you don't. You can obey the law and you can represent Jesus. And you can represent Jesus and look at the law and see if something needs to change. And if it does, you have a privilege of crying that out to the one that you voted for or seek to elect. I'm going to argue that every Christian is to be marked by love, compassion, and hospitality. I'm going to argue that every Christian is is a citizen of God's kingdom and a resident alien in this world. We talked about this in our lesson on politics. Every Christian must see themselves not as a citizen of America, but as a citizen of God's kingdom and a resident alien in this world. Think about Philippians chapter three, verse 20, where Paul says our citizenship is in heaven and from there we await our savior. Our citizenship is in him. Our location is here. And thank you, Lord, for the location that we have and the freedoms that we enjoy, but we had better disconnect ourselves." from the roots in this land. And remember where our allegiance lies. It's with him. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as what? Sojourners and exiles. You see, unfortunately, we don't speak with the voice of love, compassion, and hospitality Because we're so connected nationally that all of that gets drowned out with the talk of sovereignty and security and law codes. Why is that what comes primarily out of the mouth of followers of Jesus? Because we're more connected to the ground we walk on than the Savior we follow. I'm not saying you shouldn't speak about those issues. You should, but it should never be heard more loudly than your love, compassion, and hospitality. Because when it does, we are out of balance with our Savior. The business of nations is sovereignty and security and order, but the business of Christ is the gospel through love, compassion, and hospitality. No Christian's earthly connection should speak louder to their than their eternal one. But let me ask you, what was the last thing you've said about immigration? What was the last thing you've posted about immigration? What was the last thing you shared about immigration? What was the last thing you talked about in reference to a wall? And has that spoken more loudly? Than the voice of Jesus, whom we are to follow. I'm not arguing that walls are bad. I'm just saying walls aren't Jesus. And that's what we're to present the loudest, the compassion, the hospitality that leads to him. Lastly, I'm going to argue that every Christian should pray regularly for those who are currently suffering in every facet of the immigration issue. Every Christian should pray regularly for those who are suffering in every facet of the immigration issue because there is hurt, there is pain, there is fear, there is confusion, and we should pray. So you can close your Bibles because that's what we're going to do as we conclude. I wrote down 11 things. We're going to pray for these. And they're all mixed up. Now, I'm just going to wonder as we pray over these things as a church, as a body, will there be some of these situations that you can, in your heart, resonate and say, yes, Lord, make it so. But will there be some that we have to honestly say in confession? Lord, I never thought to pray about that. And left up to myself, I might not would have prayed about that. And can I tell you something honestly, church? I I had to prepare for this message to think about some of these in this way. So we're going to pray for folks that are hurting. And then we're going to conclude by praying that God would give this church the mind of Christ regarding our role in the lives of those who are involved in the issues of immigration. How we're to use gospel-focused actions to look like Jesus. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As I lead us, let us be united. Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you for your great hospitality. We thank you for Jesus who gave his life in our place and for our sin on the cross. We thank you for his resurrection. We thank you that through it, we can be made right. With you, if by faith alone in Christ alone we confess Him as Lord and Savior. Father, in this issue of immigration, we want to pray for those who are caught in a net of immigration illegality of no fault of their own. They didn't come here on their own, they didn't choose to be here, but they're caught. God, we ask that you would draw near to them. That you would use Christians to demonstrate your love, your compassion, your hospitality. Father, I want to pray for those who have overstayed their visas and now they're fearful of deportation and not being able to return where their families will remain. I pray that you would move in their heart and in that situation. God, I pray for the border guards who are on the front lines. Some of them committed to treating people with worth and dignity while others are simply not. And so God, we lift those that are in authority. Father, I pray for scared children, especially those who have been taken from their families for the purpose of exploitation. They're afraid. God, I pray that you would speak peace into their heart. Reveal yourself to them. Father, I pray for the families who have been victim of crimes committed by people who were not given permission. To be in this country, God, their pain, their hurt, their anger. I pray that you would minister peace to their heart. Father, I pray for the apprehension and the prosecution of criminals who are here illegally that are here simply for the purpose of criminal activity. I pray that they will be caught, that they will be apprehended. Father, we do pray that your love would arrest their heart, but certainly that they would be removed from a place of potential harm. God, I pray for refugees all around the world who are displaced and scared and waiting for the compassion of a welcoming nation. I don't know their misery, but you do, God, and I pray that you would draw our hearts toward them. Father, I pray for government leaders who see immigrants simply as political talking points. God, I pray that you would provide us with statesmen and women who will look to you to enact laws that will be gracious, gracious, provide for security and safety but God that will treat people with dignity and worth Father I pray for families who are desperate enough to risk their lives and the lives of their children for a chance at a better life in this country I don't understand that desperation but you do and God I pray that you would minister to those who are desperate And God, I pray for those who are being abused and and are being uh, oppressed for the cause of higher bottom lines. Especially, Father, for those that are Christian businessmen in industries where that is the norm. May they see righteousness through your eyes. Cease to practice those things that are clearly contrary to your word. And lastly, Father, I pray for Oasis Church. I pray for their pastor. God, there are those that are hurting in the immigration web in our community. Help us to know. Help us to see. Help us to move toward them. With the voice of the gospel and actions of love, compassion, hospitality. Father, I confess, I don't know what that looks like, but I pray that you would knit our hearts together in unity that we might want to be and to do what your son would be were he in the flesh right here, which is what we've been called to be. Father, I pray that you will encourage your people to talk about immigration but may it be with the voice of your Son through love, compassion, and hospitality because that's what we've received from you in abundance. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death and resurrection to secure and provide for our salvation. And I pray for the one who may be here today that's never by faith trusted that as the answer to their sin, the hope of their eternity, and the transformation of their today. I pray that they won't leave today before trusting Jesus and Jesus alone. We love you. We thank you. We look to you. In the name of your Son, our Savior, our returning King, our Lord. All the ways this church said.